0: If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be ministering out of 1 Samuel chapter 14 this morning and uh, really uh, excited what God is doing in our outreach churches and so keep them in your prayers, especially as we get ready to see the stalls open. That's going to be a glorious time in Syracuse. Like him or not. This is not a political endorsement or uh, any kind of, you know, if you liked Barack Obama, great. If you didn't, great, whatever. But one thing that he did when he ran for president the first time is his slogan captured the hearts of of Americans. And it was a slogan, Yes, we can. Now, whether you want to talk about what That can was, okay, I get it. That's political. I want to stay away from that. He also ran on the slogan, believe in change. And again, people questioned what change he was talking about, but that's political, and I'm staying away from that. Those slogans captured the hearts of many Americans because they grasped the thought is, you know what? Things can change. Things can change. Now, the problem is, is if you're looking for your change from Washington, D.C., you're looking in first a very shallow area, and you're looking in the wrong area. Nor is it going to come from Albany. It's going to come from God. You need a miracle from God, not the government. But in that slogan, in that understanding of what he was saying, I believe he was tapping into something that especially believers need to say. Yes, we can. The text we're going to read, the Philistines, they were the enemy of the people of God. They had invaded the land, they had taken over, and they had caused uh, great problems for the people of God. They would steal their uh, uh, their harvest. They would take their fruit away. They would uh, 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 torment them in different ways. They would oppress them. Uh, and in just a few chapters earlier, they were trying to make a deal with one of the uh, tribes, uh, one of the cities. Uh, Jay, uh, let us put out your eyes. And, and they're thinking about this because they're nervous about taking on the enemy. They goes on to say that there wasn't too many swords in Israel. There were only a handful of swords in Israel. No one had the spirit to fight. Till one man said, yes, we can. And I want to look at this sermon I've entitled, Yes, We Can. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read on through verse 15. We're going to go on through the end of the chapter. So if you want to leave your Bibles open. But it says, One day Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come and let us go over where the Philistines have an outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father. His father was King Saul, by the way. What he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibash. Around a pomegranate tree at Migron. And Saul said to his men, uh, uh, and uh, among Saul's men was Ahijah, the high priest who was wearing an ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod, the brother of Ah Ahabatub, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. And no one realized Jonathan had left the, uh, left the Israeli camp. To the, reach the outpost, of, uh, to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go between two rock cliffs that were called Bozaz, Bozazas and Seneth. Uh, the cliff on the north uh, front, more great words here, um, Mash. Sounds like a McDonald's treat, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, was uh, was to the south and in front of Geba. Let us cross to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, and perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win by the battle by many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I am completely I am with you completely whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let's let us see uh and let them see us. And if they ask us to uh I'm sorry, I lost my place. Uh and see us. If they ask if they say to us stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop uh, and we will not go on. But if they say come and uh, come on and fight, then we will go up. And that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. And when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Uh, then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb up right behind me. Jonathan, the arm, uh, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So he climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they killed those who came from behind, and they killed some of the, uh, killed some twenty men in all. And their bodies were scattered over a half an uh, about a half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including the outposts of the raiding parties. Then, uh, just then, an earthquake struck. And everyone was terrified. I want to talk to you firstly about enemies in the land. In our text, the Philistines, and if you know any Bible history, the Philistines would always, they were the main... Uh, uh, enemy of the people of God. they. The term literally means to come from the sea. It probably was uh, 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 people who had sailed down the coast many, many years, probably even before the Israelis had taken the land. They had come, invaded the land, taken over and set up their camps in the land. So that's what the term means. This is who they are. And they would constantly steal and vexed the people of God. They weren't the only enemy. You can read of the Amorites and the uh you know the Syrians and the Midianites and different other Anites that bothered the people of God, but the Philistines were the big one. Goliath was a Philistine. They were the main enemy that would come in and what they would do is oppress the people of God. They would vex them. They would harass them. Uh, they would torment them. Uh, they would steal from them, especially when it came to harvest time. They were trying to stop the people of God from receiving the promises that He that God had for them. This is the picture of the Philistines. Uh, the same is true for us today, although they're not physical to you and I. They're not in uh, actually our, uh, you know, they're not people. They're not named John or Mike or Sue or Mary. They are simply uh, the enemy, the devil, that is trying to steal away the fruit of the land, uh, the fruit of the people of God, the blessing of the people of God, the promises of the people of God. They're trying to harass you and I to cause us to want to give up. And most of Israel had. I've mentioned before that I've lived in two nations that feel that they were oppressed by their big neighbors. Lithuania by the Soviet Union, Russia, and Ireland by England. Especially Yeah, Ireland and England had a pretty good relationship till a man named Cromwell took over and really tried to do some, did some great damage that still lasts to this day in the Irish-English relations. But what's very interesting about that is that when this is there, they feel oppressed, the people will rise, some people will just do and uh, create a little bit of terroristic acts. Uh, Apparently I have a cousin who uh, she, her father, who is not in my bloodline, but her father was uh, the lookout for some of the original IRA members and would uh, be on the rooftop and run to the pub and warn the people if the British soldiers were coming. And so they they would do this. And, and that was common in the day. That's probably what was happening in Israel. There were a few people that would rise up, but most of the people just simply grumbled Hated it, but did nothing, and that's true of many Christians today. They'll identify, "Oh, the devil's oppressing us," and no, oh, isn't it bad? And, you know, but they don't do anything to rise up. John ten ten. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is that they might have a rich and satisfying life. Our text tells us that there's four kinds of people here. There's the people who are fearful and doing nothing. Saul has 600 men with him. They're sitting under a pomegranate tree. They're just just there. Uh, Verse verse 2 tells us that uh, the 600 men were camped on the outskirts uh, of Gebat. Now, Put this in perspective, this is in the Jerusalem-ish area of, if you look at your map, this is kind of that Jerusalem area of Israel, and all they're doing is sitting there, going through maneuvers, going through, you know, maybe practicing, maybe scuffling, maybe playing cards, whatever it was that they were doing, but they weren't engaging the enemy, as one pastor said, maybe they were examining the lint in their belly buttons, but they were not doing anything towards the Philistines. The majority of people fear weak. Well, what happens if it doesn't work? I don't think we can. The high priest is there. Ahijah, or hajaraz. He's wearing the ephod. He's, he's religious. We don't, he's wearing it. We don't see that he's beseeching the Lord. He's not praying. He's not doing it. He's just wearing the ephod. They look the part. They wear the clothes. They do it, but there, there's nothing really happening. There's people who come to church, they lift their hands. But nothing's happening here. The enemy is triumphing over them. They can be religious. There's one man who says God could help us. 1 Samuel 14, 6. Pastor Mitchell used to use this about once a year in the Bible conference. Let us cross over to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing hinders the Lord. He can win the battle, whether it be by many warriors or only a few. Jonathan says, yes, we can. Yes, we can. He says, you know, I'm tired of the oppression. Tired of the enemy trampling the land. In both Lithuanian and in Irish history, and this is true in a lot of places, there were moments where they could say, this was the turning point. This was where we were going to win our independence. In Lithuania was the television tower, it was January of 1991. They had invaded the television tower. They had taken it over in Vilnius and they were tired of uh, all of the propaganda that the Russians were putting out and they were doing uh, just tired of all that was happening. They had also surrounded the parliament building. And what had happened is that the Soviets on January 15th and lots of Americans weren't necessarily paying attention to this because that was the same moments that uh, the first Gulf War was happening in, uh, in getting Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. So a lot of Americans were, just weren't paying attention to that. They shelled the, the Russians shelled the television tower killing nine people their graves we actually used to live near the National Cemetery we would go over there eight of them are buried there in uh, such a way that they're honored and they're heroes and it was the turning point the ironic thing is the tanks then rolled from the television tower and they were going to the parliament building and they got to the bridge and they stopped and no one can tell the the. Commander on the ground says he received an order to stop, but no official in Moscow ever took credit for that order, and no one was ever, uh, you know, court-martialed or anything like that. The order obviously went out. No one wanted to take. Saved hundreds of lives, but that was the turning point in Lithuania. In Ireland, it was called the Easter Rebellion. It happened in nineteen eighteen or nineteen nineteen. On Easter Day, the independent movement took over the post office in Dublin. And the British shelled it, many of them were arrested, but many of the leaders of that would go on to be the political leaders because in 1921, Ireland would get its independence. Someone said, yes, we can Someone said, we can do this. Jonathan says, it's not going to take a lot. It's only going to take a few. God's able to do this. And there was a man who would believe in him. Verse 7, his armor bearer says, Do what you think is best. The armor bearer replied, I am with you completely whatever you decide. When Pastor Mitchell went to Prescott, taking over a very broken church, double moral failures, 26 cents in the bank account, all of these things that were going on. He takes over this church. He asks two families, are you going to stay? Will you get behind? One of them is Bob and Alan, Sharon, who are still there to this day. Faithful and supporting what God will do. So, you're going to fit in one of those four categories. You're going to be religious. You're going to be fearful and weak. You're going to say, yes, we can. Or you're going to support those who say, yes, we can. But really, that's the four areas you're going to fit in. That's our text. Let's think about the faith of Jonathan. Because you're either going to base your decisions on faith or circumstance. That's life. It's either going to be God can help us, or this is what's happening. Faith is not based on your ability; it's based on what God can do. Circumstances is it based on what you can do. Second Chronicles chapter fourteen verse eleven: Asa cried to the Lord his God, "O Lord, no one can help us. Uh, no one, uh, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord." Our God, we trust in you alone. It is the name that we have come uh, against a vast horde. Oh, Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. You're either going to look towards a mighty God or you're going to look towards yourself. Circumstances says, what can I do to fix it? Faith says, what's God going to do? Circumstances are going to look at the opposition. Faith's going to look at the God who can help us. Circumstances are going to look at the cost. Faith's going to look at the victory. Jonathan said, yes we can. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What shall we say about such a wonderful Thing as these. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I want to consider Jonathan here because as you begin to see him move, it says in verse 4 that he, to reach the Philistine outpost, he had to go between two rocky cliffs, Bozas and Seneth. Boses literally is, means shining or glaring. It's blinding. It said, I was reading of this, it was said that it was probably white limestone that would be very bright in the sun. Very blinding. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this world, speaking of the devil, wants to blind people so that they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The devil will try to glare. He'll try to blind us. You know, as as the sun is changing, the clocks have changed now. And all of a sudden, you know, you're driving. To, you know, I'd come to prayer in the dark. And now it's like, whoa. And there's a road that we go due east on to get to the, you know, to get to 390. And it's like, wow, you're driving down that. you got to have the visor down and sunglasses on and head up as high as, you know. Just because even off the hood of the car, the glare can be bad. Blinding. That's the picture that the devil wants to, do. he wants to blind us, glare us, get us nervous to move forward. Senneth literally means thorny or painful, that sometimes moving forward, it's not comfortable. You're going to get stuck a little bit, you're going to get, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the mentality would become to those who look at circumstances, well, if it was God, it would be easy, brother. I, you know, and you've read the Bible? I mean, really? You've read the Bible and you, you're going to tell me out of the Bible if it's easy. Moses had it easy, right? Pharaoh, let my people go. Absolutely. You're, what can we do to help you get to the promised land? Isn't that what he said? Plague after plague after plague after plague. And then he still pursues after them. But if it's the Lord, it would be easy. See, he has to pass through some hard spots. This is where some look and go, no, we can't. The glare. No, can't do it. I got stuck by a thorn. You know, I'm realizing the the older I get, the, the longer it especially takes for... St- Things are on my legs to heal. I got a couple of things and I'm like, one of them goes back to when we were working on the building and it's still there. And I'm like, wow. Just getting older, like a used car. Bumps, scrapes, dents, and takes a little longer to start in the morning and you kind of have to baby it to get it going. Some of you will understand when you get older, right? Right? But sometimes it's going to be a little bit of a struggle to get there. But if you're going to be in position for God to help you, sometimes you've got to go through the glare and the thorns. First Samuel fourteen eleven of our text, it says, And the Philistines then saw them coming, and he lo- they said, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their hole. Sometimes you'll be mocked if you say, Yes, God can do it. You know, there's a reason he didn't tell his father. Because unbelief, he didn't want to hear that. There's the same king that, when one man for 40 days would come out, morning and night, speak some words, put the entire army. At a standstill. One man, a few words, didn't even shoot an arrow or kill anybody. Saul, the high priest, the men that are with him, they're not moving. They're just sitting there. They don't want to overcome. Jesus said, John sixteen thirty-three. I have told you this so that you have peace in me. On earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I always think, secondly, as he goes, where the enemy is. I read some very uh, heartbreaking statistics on evangelism, people who actually witness and share their faith. It's very low in far as people who have actually shared their faith with more than 15 people in a year. 15 people in a year. It's less than 2% of the whole American church. Saul's not moving. He's staying stationary, but Jonathan's on the move. Paul wrote and said, even though I am free, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, with no master I have become a slave to all people that I may bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the Jewish law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring those to Christ who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles uh, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. But I, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness because uh, I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing anything I can to save some. This means that when he's with the Jews, he doesn't go, hey, let's get a ham and cheese sandwich down at the deli. That would be bad. Or let's get a a cheeseburger. He says, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that to the Jews. I can eat a cheeseburger because I'm not under the law. And when I'm with the Gentiles, I'm not going, you know, ham's really bad for you. Deuteronomy says you shouldn't, you know, mix, you know, the milk and the calf together. You know, don't boil a calf in its mother's milk. That's really bad. Put cheeseburger, you're just sinning. You're you're beyond redemption. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to be where they're at. He goes, We're not without the law of Christ. I'm not going to go out with a bunch of guys to a bar just because, hey, that's a cool thing to do. There's limits to that. The law of God, the righteousness of God. But this is why we'll try plays and dramas and family fun days and whatever to relate to different people. Miracle healing crusades, whatever it takes. Because you know what? Some people will come to a play that would never come to a concert. But there's people who come to a miracle healing crusade who would never go to a play. We've got to do it all, whatever it takes. And Jonathan engages the enemy. He's not totally, like, reckless on this. He prays and he says, okay, God, I'd like a sign. Now, I know none of you have ever prayed for a sign, but, you know, you ever pray for a silly sign and then you realize that was kind of, you just needed to obey God. But then he engages the enemy and he kills 20 men and, and their bodies were scattered over about a half an acre. I've read different things where it says, you know, there's times where God would, the death angel would come and 86,000 Assyrians were killed in one night. The Midianites scattered the land innumerable. This is just 20 men. you got to start somewhere. American Revolution was based on the death of a handful of people in Boston. They called it the Boston Massacre, which absolutely triggered the entire American Revolution from England. Twenty men. Twenty may not seem like a lot until you think about 20 people added to this church. There are times God gets involved because one man said, I will do it. Yes, we can. I think what happens, because God gets involved. Our text tells us that, verse 15, that suddenly panic breaks out in the Philistine army camp. They begin to flee, and there's an earthquake. God accelerates this. God takes this and shakes them. You know, it only takes a little bit. God gets involved and then a shaking starts. God wants to move and get involved greatly. Because one man said, yes, we can. Not only that, others start getting involved. Verses four, in chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, it says Saul, Saul was talking to the priest. And then confusion in the camp of the Philistines grew louder and louder. Saul said to the priest, he said, you seek God on this now. He says, never mind. And Saul and his men rushed out to battle and found the Philistines killing each other. And there was terrible confusion everywhere. The enemy begins to flee. The people of God begin to rise up. And this is a picture in the New Testament of revival. Of God beginning to really bless a defeated enemy. God begins to move them back. Verse 21 is fascinating to me. This jumped out at me like never before. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted. And join with Saul and Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites. You know what that is? Backsliders come back. Those who left and joined the Philistine come back. That's a miracle. When the backslider begins to get their heart right, people rejoice. You know, it's sad for the backslider. They, they think everybody's going to come in and stare at them scowling faces. What did you do? You dirty little sinner, you. It's not what happens at all, is it? We're thrilled. Yes, the backslider came home. The prodigal son, the prodigal daughter has come back. Kill the fatted cat. Let's have a party, right? Heaven rejoices. Yeah, there can be the older brother who probably needs to be tased. Just saying. I know you can't physically, but you can do it. Maybe spiritually. God, teach them not to be so self-righteous and self-arrogant and all this, right? We rejoice. Those who had joined the Philistine army came back. Because one man said, yes, we can. Verse 22 of 1 Samuel 14. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hills and the countries of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. Others began to get involved. People who weren't even involved in the beginning. God really can move and bring people in to be a part of what God wants to do. This all goes back to one man who said, Yes, we can. The battle shifts. Verse 23 says, and so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth Ava. Now, I began to try to look at this and try to figure out how far these were apart because it says Beth Ava was on the edge of the tribe of Benjamin's land and this it's all happening kind of in the center of it by Jerusalem and such. Uh, and, you know, was this 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever. But I began to realize that's not really the issue. The issue was they began to expand and reach victory in areas that they hadn't even thought of. That wasn't even on their... They were just trying to take care of this stinking outpost right there in the middle of their land. they ended up chasing them back bringing them back to the edge of what God had promised the tribe of Benjamin. Because a lot of these were Benjamites, and that's why the Ephraims got involved, because they now had gotten close to their land. And God began to move. God wants to give us, because one man said, yes, we can defeat the enemy here. This touched regions beyond. What cities, what even nations could be touched as one man said yes we can yes we can 1950s a young preacher he's just trying to preach the gospel wants to see people get saved he ends up going to the city of los angeles He begins to try to set up his tent to have his crusade to minister to people. There's some city officials that are not excited about this. But a very interesting man, a head of the newspaper by the name of Hearst, likes this young preacher. Maybe more because he likes the political fight that this preacher is getting into, and he's kind of... Tired of some of the LA preach of politics, whatever his motives were, we'll never quite know. But he began to help this young preacher. God help him get the permits. This man had a crusade because he said, "Yes, we can." Williams' crusade had success to some degree, but then Mr. Hearst put him on the front page of a lot of his papers. William began to see crowds come out to his crusade William Graham ministry was launched in LA at that moment some of you know him better as Billy Billy Graham but God began to do something because this man said yes we can A man who probably preached to more sinners, whether he preached to more or Reinhard Bonnke did, I don't know. God has that all worked out. But both very fruitful men. But one man said, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And there's no doubt that no matter what your age is in here or your spiritual level of understanding, you've heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham preaching to multitudes, nations that he preached a crusade in China. It's absolutely fascinating. When China was as closed as closed could be, he got in there. Because one man said, yes, we can. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Maybe you've never been born again. God wants to touch your life, He wants to forgive your sins, He wants to do a miracle for you. Jesus looked at your life and said, Yes, I can. I can save, heal, redeem, forgive you. And if you're here t- this morning, you're not right with God, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, would you, Pastor, would you pray for me? Thank God. Anyone else, you want to join an honest heart? Say, I'm not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you, like our text says, joined the army of the Philistines for whatever reason. But you know what? like Saul and his army did, you can be welcome back. Welcome back to the purposes of God. Welcome back to the kingdom of God. We're, you know, you, yes, there might be things you have to deal with, but we're going to rejoice, not condemn. If that's you, you're not, you're backslidden, you want to come back, slip up your hand. Say, pray for me. You need to get my heart right with God anyone at all. Amen. You mean that, don't you? Would you come? I need a brother real quick. Yanni, would you come? Let's pray with my good friend here. Let's all stand. Jonathan said, yes, we can. And I believe that kind of faith is what we need. Let's open these altars. Let's sing this song, Take Me Past the Outer courts. Take me past you. and it's only cold. Cleanse my lips here. Right, one more time. Take a cold. Take a cold. Cleanse my lips here. Let's give him praise and worship him. Father, we